This is week four, our fourth and final week of 2 Timothy. We're gonna finish the entire letter today as we walk verse by verse through chapter four. Before we get there, let's recap. And if you've missed any of these weeks, you can go back and watch on YouTube. But week one, we talked about fanning the flame. Paul reminds Timothy, you have not been given a spirit of fear. Do you know that? You haven't been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. But here's the deal. It's not always, it doesn't always feel that way because we have to fan into flame the gift that the Spirit is, is giving us in our lives. Then in week two, Doug talked about the three mindsets of ministry. How sometimes we need to think like a soldier ready to serve. Other times we need to think like an athlete ready to train. And then other times we need to think like a farmer who's thinking about the future. Not, not just seeing what is, but seeing what could be. And then last week, Ethan and Alfred from Batman reminded us that sometimes we just gotta stop letting, start, stop trying to outsmart the truth and let the truth have its day. That there is a way of the world and a way of the kingdom. The way of the world is to put yourself at the center and it promises life, but it doesn't fulfill you the way you think it is. The way to the true abundance is to put our faith in Jesus and follow the way of his kingdom. Now, for the fourth and final installment, we are going to talk uh, about what Paul tells Timothy in chapter four, where he goes, hey, um, we're not just here to start things. We're here to finish what we started. Anybody need that today? Anybody ever struggle to, to finish the things that you start? Anybody have any house projects that are unfinished? You started them, it's a little harder to finish them, right? Anyone have any creative projects they've started but haven't finished? Anybody have any friendships that were easy to start, but then when it came to doing the hard work and having the difficult conversations, instead of, instead of uh, being in it for the long haul, you just put it down? got heavy in a hurry, right? It's easier to, to start friendships. It's harder to be lifelong friends. Today, we're gonna talk about the art of finishing what you start. And, and, and so for this final installment, we have named it a jacket and a journal. A jacket and a journal, what does that mean? If all goes according to plan, you'll understand in about 15 minutes. So do me a favor, scoot in if you have any open seats next to you and then take a seat. Father, we love you so much. Thank you for 2 Timothy chapter four. Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. What was the best field trip you went on in elementary school? Think back to the most memorable field trip for me, second grade, the Children's Museum in Indianapolis, Indiana because they had a new exhibit that came to town called the King Tut exhibit. Now we had been studying ancient Egypt and I was so fascinated by the pyramids and how they would bury the kings and the pharaohs in these elaborate tombs and then these thieves would always try to break in and steal. I loved learning about it and I couldn't wait for the day that we got to go see King Tut's tomb. Now, King Tut was a, a king in Egypt around 1323 BC. So for the Bible nerds out there, that's like 100 years after God brought the uh, Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land. 
And his tomb was discovered in 1922. And what's amazing about um, his tomb is it had like over $3 million worth of gold in it. 5,000 different pieces of jewelry, fancy furniture, because the belief was, hey, if you bury um, them with all the stuff in their tomb, they'll be able to take it with them into the afterlife. And so all of those pieces are now insured for over a billion dollars. I was so excited to walk through it with my friends, and then I started walking through it, and it was really fun to see. But I remember in the middle of it getting really sad, looking around going, this guy was the king. Like he was the pinnacle of power and prestige. And apparently the only place that gets you is buried in the ground somewhere with a bunch of possessions where moth and rust destroy and thieves constantly try to break in and steal. And so I'm having this like existential crisis, seven-year-old Ryan, like all my buddies are like, this is so cool and I wonder what's for lunch, let's go. And I'm over here like, I need a second Something's happening. And uh, I was thinking about that this week because Paul was a Pharisee. So he was on a fast track towards power and prestige until Jesus got a hold of his life on the road to Damascus and changed everything. Like the world tells us to be first. The gospel says be last. The world tells us to be great. The gospel says, just use your life to serve others. The world tells us to accumulate as much as we can so that maybe thousands of years from now, kids will walk through our exhibit in the museum. The gospel says, use whatever resources God has given you to make heaven more crowded. Just keep being a part of this much bigger and more beautiful mission called the kingdom of Heaven. Paul understood that and he didn't just start, he finished what he started because he's in a jail cell at the end of his life with really nothing left as far as possessions go. But I just believe a heart full of legacy and meaning and purpose and love for all of the people that he got to fight with along the way. Paul didn't just start. He finished what he started. So as we read through chapter four today, look for all the helpful tools that Paul gives us so that we can do the same thing and finish this race that God has mapped out for us. So with that, 2 Timothy chapter four and verse one. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view underline that word view, of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Now before we read what the charge is, let's talk about that word view. We all have a worldview. Every human has a worldview, a way that we view the world. It's like, think about it like we're all wearing a pair of glasses that we see the world through. That's our worldview. That's why an event can happen and the same event can be interpreted in two very different ways by two different people. Why? Because we all have a worldview, a way we view the world. If you don't believe me, next time something political happens, do a little experiment. Turn on CNN for two minutes and just watch how they interpret the event that happened. And then flip over to Fox News for two minutes and just watch how they interpret the situation and then turn it all off and go outside and be a real human being who talks to real people. (laughs) 
Just saying, as an experiment though, those four minutes, what you're going to realize is one event happened and it got interpreted in two completely different ways. Why? Because we all have a worldview. We all have a way that we view the world. Think about two people struggling with addiction. Both have an intervention with family and friends who love them. The first person hears it and goes, you're so right. Thank you. I need to get help. Would you please help me fight? And the second person says, don't tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me. Get out of here. Everything's the same except what? Worldview. We all have a way that we view the world. That's why uh, two people could be sitting in here and the first person could be going, I needed to hear this so bad this week. And the second person can be going, can you believe this guy? What are we doing here? Let's go to Town Lake, you know? Why? Worldview. We all have a way that we view the world. Paul's going, in light of my worldview, a biblical worldview, that Jesus is king and that the king's coming back for all of us. In view of that, here's the charge he gives Timothy. Preach the word. Now, some of you are looking at me like, that's your job. I disagree. That's our job. Every time you step foot out your front door, you are preaching something. Every time you post, you are preaching something. Every conversation and interaction you have, you are preaching something. The question is, are you preaching the word? Doug and Ethan and I uh, got our start in ministry leading mission trips, and we'd always have to do these like fire ups for, for all the, the kids on the trips, but we knew next to nothing about the Bible at the time. So we always use the same fire up every single time. Like there's probably footage of, of us saying this in so many different countries. We'd gather everyone together and we'd go, remember, you may be the only Bible your roommate ever reads. And we, we laugh about it because we just said it so much, but it's true. Hey, you may be the only Bible your spouse ever reads. You may be the only Bible your kids ever read. The question is, what are you preaching to them? Are you showing and displaying the way of Jesus by the way that you love them, by the way that you forgive them, by the way that you say things like, hey, I was wrong. I, when I got angry back there, that's on me. I'm sorry, please forgive me. You preaching the word. We preach the word. We have an opportunity to preach the word in everything that we do. Paul tells Timothy, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. That one's meant a lot to me over the years because here's the deal. When, uh, when I'm doing really well, I've noticed it's really easy for me to talk about Jesus. Like when I'm feeling good, when I feel like I'm doing a good job following Jesus, it's super easy for, for me to get up and tell people about the love and grace of Jesus. It's when I'm struggling that I struggle to do this. It's when I'm struggling that I start to feel that, that shame start to take over. It's when I'm struggling that I start to go, man, I don't know what, should I really be telling people about Jesus right now? Here's what I've learned over the years though. It's typically those moments where the Holy Spirit works in the most power. Because it's typically those moments where I stop trying to outsmart this whole thing and just let God's power and grace work through me. Paul goes, in season, in season's great, also, sometimes you just gotta, you gotta go out of season. You're not always going to be up for it, but 
preach the word in season and out of season. Then he says this, correct, rebuke, and encourage. Gives us a formula right now. Some of you have a difficult conversation that you have to have someone that you've been putting off because you have no idea how to have it. Paul just gave you a formula. Correct, rebuke, encourage. Hey, I see the way that you're living and I just gotta say as a friend, someone that, that loves you, I just don't feel like that lines up with the best that God has for you. Correct, rebuke. You have more, there's more in you than that. I see so much more potential and I'm telling you this because I love you. That's the rebuke, followed quickly by the encouragement. Hey, but I'm in this with you. I love you. I'm so proud of you. I'm fighting right alongside with you. Let's fall forward and let's keep moving. Correct, rebuke, encourage. And then he says this, with great patience and careful instruction. Now, if we wanna be a church that finishes what we start, we have to relearn the lost art of patience. Do you know patience is the fruit of the Spirit? Like, in other words, the more we follow the Holy Spirit, the more we follow Jesus, and the more the Holy Spirit works in our lives, the more we should be growing in patience. Not growing impatient, growing in patience. <laughs> Caught myself. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's just that we don't always talk about it. Uh, like, for me, when I'm preaching the fruit of the Spirit, I go, love and joy and peace. But, like, patience is number four. I just stop there. Or if I do say it, I'll LMNOP it. You know what I mean? I'll go, love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Why? Because patience is tough for me. It's a hard one for me. Paul, at the end of his life, is going, I've had lots of opportunities to grow in patience. And, and if you want to make disciples, it's just going to require you to have some patience. Group leaders, thank you so much for leading Thank you so much for making disciples. Some of you launched a group a couple of weeks ago. Hey, now it's time to learn how to be in it for the long game. And that's going to require you to be patient at times. It's really easy to show up week one and be like, all right, we're gonna have an amazing group. Here's all the to-dos, here's all the to-don'ts. Got it? Good. But then next week rolls around and you're like, you did all the to-don'ts and you didn't do all the to-dos. What are we doing? I'm over this, I'm out of here. Yeah, except that spiritual formation takes time. That's why when you study the life of Jesus, he talked about it all the time, but he never talked about it like a switch that you flip. He always talked about it like a seed that you plant. It's a big difference between those two things. It's not a switch that you can just flip and all of a sudden you got it. It's a seed that you plant in the ground and you have that farmer's mindset that Doug talked about in week two. You cultivate it, you care for people, you keep checking in on them. You keep correcting them, rebuking them and encouraging them week after week, constantly being patient. I have a, a little backyard patio that I like to sit at uh, in the evening and read. And I was out there and the sun was going down, beautiful Austin evening. My neighbor came out to his backyard with his four-year-old son. And my neighbor goes, hey, how are you? I look up from my book. I go, oh, I'm doing good. It's good to see you guys. And it's silent for a few seconds. And his four-year-old goes, hey, how are you? And I said, hey, kid, 
We've already established that I'm doing fine. You kidding me right now? If you're gonna ask me a question, move the ball forward. What are we doing? The adults are talking. You imagine? No, of course I didn't say that. I said, I'm doing so good, buddy. Thank you for asking. It's such a beautiful evening out, just enjoying the weather. How, how are you doing today? Why? Because we all understand that he's four, that he's learning how to communicate. He's watching his dad and doing what his dad does. And slowly but surely, he's learning how to have conversations and hold conversations, right? And so it's our job to sit in that with him and help him and train him up to do that. We get that with kids. But then when it comes to Christians, someone gets saved and we expect them to have everything put together two weeks later. It's like, hey, man, there's patience involved in learning to be more like Jesus. This is a lifelong process. And Paul's going, hey, you wanna finish what you start? Learn how to be patient. Learn how to be in it with people for the long run. I could preach a whole sermon on that. We gotta keep moving. Here we go. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of friends who just unconditionally tell them what they wanna hear and always say yes to everything that they tell them. Oh, sorry, I read that wrong. <laughs> they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Now, Ethan talked about this a ton last week. Go listen to it, but let me double back and say this. Do you have people in your life who will tell you no sometimes? Do you have people in your life who will tell you what you don't want to hear sometimes? I'm not talking about critics. There will always be people that don't really know you who will have plenty of opinions for you. That's a whole different thing. Uh, I'm talking about people you have relational equity with. Are they just unconditionally, yeah, 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 go for it, go for it, go for it. Or are they allowing, or are they brave enough and strong enough and courageous enough to go into the depths with you and push where they need to push and help you see what God may have for you? I love Doug and Ethan for a number of reasons. One of them is because when I walk into their offices with a question, I know I'm not just gonna get met with a one-word answer. I know that they're going to push me and that sometimes they're going to say the thing that's, they're always gonna try to say the thing that's best for me, even when I don't wanna hear it sometimes. It's so, hey, you wanna finish what you start? Get people in your life who will tell you the truth. In grace and in love, of course. But we have to have truth tellers in our lives. And hey, if you do have those people, thank them often. Because they're a gift to you. Let's keep going. Verse four, verse five. But you will keep your head, but you, so now Paul turns to Timothy, but you, keep your head in all situations. Call back to, to chapter one, right? Have a sound mind. Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardships, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. I love how the ESV says it, fulfill your ministry. 
such an immense amount of freedom found when you realize it's not your job to fulfill everybody else's ministries? More on that in just a second. Verse six, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. In the Old Testament, when a priest would make an offering, they would sacrifice the lamb and then after it was done, the last thing they would do is pour out wine onto the ground as the drink offering. That was the, the sign, hey, this is finished. Paul's saying that about his life. He goes, I've spent my life sacrificing it all and now it's, it's time for the drink offering. This is it for me, I'm in my final days. We'll come back to that in a bit. Verse seven, I have fought the good fight. If you don't get anything else today, get verse seven. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Hard fought words from the Apostle Paul. Going, I didn't just start it. I finished what I started. In that verse, in verse seven, he gives us three really practical steps for us to do the same. Let's unpack them real quick. The first is this, focus on your fight. Focus on your fight. Key word there is your I've noticed over the years that when people stop focusing on their fight, they tend to get really nosy. They tend to gossip a lot. I notice this in my life. When I start to feel myself wanting to gossip, wanting to talk about other people's fights and whether or not they're doing a good job with it, it's usually because I've lost focus on my fight. But remember, Paul tells us, fulfill your ministry. Did you know that you have a job to do? Do you know that there is a reason why you are on this earth? That God has a plan and a purpose for your life and is equipping you to step into that? Do you know that? It's your job to, to, to figure out what that is and then constantly refocus your attention on it because let's be real, we live in a noisy world full of lots of opinions about how other people are doing fighting their fight. I hear it all the time, someone will come up to me in the lobby like, did you hear about so-and-so? You hear about so-and-so? I can't believe so-and-so. And most of the time, my honest answer is no, I haven't. I'm too busy focusing on my fight. I'm always there to help people, love people, care for people, pick people up when they've fallen down, but I have, there's a reason that I exist. I'm going to focus on my fight. Here's how you know. When you start to get well, when you're focusing on your fight, you're going to get tired. It's just true. Like there's going to be days like when you get to the end of a good workout and you go, I'm exhausted. I need to, I need to take a step back. I need to take an afternoon. I need to get some sleep. That's gonna be part of it. But you know that, that feeling that's past tired, that's more like depleted? I've noticed in my life that, that when I'm feeling depleted, burnt out is a phrase we use often, it's usually because I'm trying to fight a whole bunch of other people's fights for them. Instead of focusing on my fight, uh, I'm jumping in to try to fight other people's fights. It, it'll deplete you. And, and, and it's uh, just a test for me that when it starts to happen, I back up and I go, okay, God, what's, what's going on here? I'm, I'm not just tired. I feel this like soul kind of tired. 
And so would you help me realign and refocus on the fight that you want me to fight? Focus on your fight. The next one he tells you to keep the faith. Keep the faith. Here's some honest truth. You follow Jesus, you're gonna lose some stuff. But keep the faith. You follow Jesus, you may lose some friends, but keep the faith. You follow Jesus, you may lose some of your reputation, but keep the faith. You follow Jesus, you may lose some of your net worth, but keep the faith. Paul gets to the end of his life going, I've pretty much lost everything except the one thing. And that one thing is the only thing I care about. I've spent my life making Jesus famous. And so maybe I've lost everything else, but I've kept the faith. And then of course, finish the race. Number three, realize this week that, that Paul doesn't say win the race. He just goes, just get to the finish line. When, he, when he's writing to the church in Corinth, he's a little younger, he's got some more zeal. He's like, hey, be in it to win it. Train to win the race. But then I love it, by the end of his life, he's like, you know what, just, just get to the finish line. Just get there. And I, I think one of the reasons we don't finish what we start is because the finish line is where we know we're gonna get judged for the thing. Like, you've got that project that you, you wanna finish but then you just put it down and you just decide, no, I'll get to that later, I'll get to that later. Why? Because when you finally do get to the end, then you're gonna realize if it either gets accepted by the world or rejected by the world. The finish line is scary because that's when you find out the outcome. And I just get the sense that Paul at the end of his life is writing to Timothy going, hey, who cares about outcome? I want you to focus on obedience. Whatever happens will happen. This may be for somebody listening, somebody in this room. Ladies that God behind bars, whatever God's putting on your heart, what if God this week was calling you to stop worrying so much about the outcome and start focusing on the obedience, where you go, I know God's calling me to do this, so to the best of my ability, every day I'm gonna take another step, another step, another step. If I fall along the way, I'll get back up, I'll repent, and I'll keep moving forward. But I'm gonna stop worrying so much about what the critics are going to say, and I'm gonna focus on the obedience. You wanna finish what you start. Focus on your fight. Keep the faith. Finish the race. Now that's really the end of what Paul is saying to, to Timothy. And here in verse nine, you're gonna feel it. He switches into more um, personal words for him, um, just like he did in the first few verses of, of chapter one. And I thought, I was like, maybe I just finished it there. Cause that's like, that's like the message, right? And then I realized I'm preaching a sermon about finishing what you start. I can't not finish the entire chapter. So here we go, I'm gonna practice what we're preaching. Verse nine, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. If you remember, Luke was with uh, Paul all throughout his, his missionary journey. That's why uh, Luke is the one that ends up writing Acts, like we studied in our last series. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus, and then here's verse 13, this one's important. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and my scrolls, especially the parchment. I love the Bible so much. 
Paul just went from saying one of the most revolutionary things that we could ever hear in finishing the race to saying, hey, when you come visit me, remember to bring my jacket. It's been making me laugh all week. And then I realized, hey, maybe God has something for us in verse 13. See, because in that day and age, the thought was if you are at the pinnacle, if you're the guy, make sure you get buried with a whole bunch of possessions where people can walk by and marvel at everything that you've done. Paul, one of the heroes of the faith, for me, really only second to Jesus, gets to the end of his life and all he has left is a jacket and a journal. That's it. Think about that. Like, isn't there something in you that's like, this is the Apostle Paul. Like, why don't we throw him the biggest retirement party the world has ever seen? He should be writing to Timothy going, get all the people from all the churches that I planted together. We're gonna throw an amazing party. We're gonna have a slideshow with closing time behind it. We're gonna celebrate me. We're gonna make this about me. Do you know who I am? You know how many books I wrote? 13. This is number 13, only 27 are gonna make the final cut. I wrote 13 of them, that's almost half. But Peter's not gonna write 13. He'll be lucky if he writes two, and he'll probably name them after himself. This is like such deep cut Bible nerdum. <laughs> Celebrate me, make this about me set up my tomb with tons of gold in it so that people will walk by thousands of years from now in museums and marvel at how amazing I am. Paul doesn't do any of that. He doesn't care about any of that. Because he goes, this was never about me. This has only ever been about Jesus. Yeah, bring my jacket if you get a chance. Bring that journal. I don't care about anything else. Like if they tried to bury Paul with a bunch of gold, he'd be like, no, use that gold to go plant more churches. You're not getting it. And as I've been reading it, I just feel like it's my job this week to get up here and remind us of the immense amount of freedom that comes in letting go of all of that silly human need to elevate ourselves, make much of ourselves and instead just be so in tune with what the Holy Spirit's doing in our life that, that we realize the only thing we wanna do is make Jesus famous and make heaven more crowded. Paul finished his race with a jacket and a journal, but a heart full of legacy and love for the people he got to fight with and purpose. Man, that's the type of life I wanna live, poured out leaving it all on the field, everything I got. Because I'm so certain that there is something bigger going on here than my own little kingdom, kingdom of heaven. So with that, let's finish. Alexander the metal worker did a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. And then get this, may it not be held against them. 
Notice Paul at the end of his life has some boundaries set up. Alexander, he's trying to take this whole thing down. Timothy, you should stay away from him. Set up some healthy boundaries in your life. But even more impressive, by the end of his life, Paul was free from bitterness. May it not be held against them. Sounds like another man who hung on a cross saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so boundaries and yet no bitterness. You know, it's possible to have both. It's important to have both, to set up healthy boundaries in your life and then to also forgive the people that caused the pain. I'm not saying it's easy. If I need to say that a little stronger, you can forgive someone and still get a restraining order against them if you need to. Boundaries. Also, man, let's let go of this bitterness because we have a job to do. You've got things to do, you've got a race to run. You gotta fight to finish and bitterness will weigh you down. And I know how big that ask is. In a room this size, people watching online, ladies that got behind bars, my goodness, I don't know the amount of pain. Unforgiveness is, is unbearable to even think about. I'm not saying it, it's easy. But I am saying when, you, when the gospel takes root in your soul, it's like a seed that grows deep roots and it sprouts up and it starts to change everything about your life. When you start to realize what Jesus did for you, somewhere along the way, you find the courage to forgive others who, by the way, are just other broken people trying to figure it out in the world. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever, amen. Then he says this, final few verses. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiris. Now this one's kind of fun for me. I'm I'm a nerd, this is what I think is fun. Priscilla and Aquila, if you go back and read Acts, um, Paul met them in Corinth. They're a married couple, tent makers. Paul was also a tent maker. They, they meet, they hang out. They start helping Paul with the church in Corinth. So much so that when Paul leaves a year and a half later and goes to Ephesus, he goes, Priscilla, Aquila, you guys are coming with. I picture them like the captain of every volunteer team that we have. Like, what do you need? Someone to make coffee early in the morning? I got it. What do we need? help in a ridiculous parking lot in the middle of 110 heat, I got it. Like whatever you need, however I can serve, I got you. And what's amazing about Priscilla and Aquila is Paul is writing this to Timothy years later, who is the pastor of the church in Ephesus. In other words, they didn't just go to Ephesus, they stayed in Ephesus. They didn't just show up, they were in it for the long haul. You see just Paul and Timothy having so much love for Priscilla and Aquila because we, I can tell you firsthand, none of this happens without the amazing volunteers that make this happen. In fact, can we make some noise for everybody that serves at Red Rocks? We love you so much. Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. 
Go read Acts 20, 21, 22. You'll see these are all traveling companions of Paul. Do your best to get here before winter. Really doubling down on that whole jacket thing. Eubulus greets you. So do Putins, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. And here's the last verse that we have from the Apostle Paul. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. Leave that up for just a sec. Paul starts the same way he, or ends the same way he started with grace. Bringing Timothy right back to the grace. Here's what I want you to know, Timothy. That grace that started the good work in you will sustain you until the end. Grace be with you all. But I love that he used the word all because now he's turning not just to Timothy, but to the entire church in Ephesus. Here's what I want you to know, grace be with you all. And when this letter gets down to Philippi and that church there, I want you to know, grace be with you all. And when it gets over to Corinth, I want you to know, grace be with you all. And 2,000 years from now, when it's red in Austin, Texas, here's what I want you to know, Red Rocks, grace be with you all. In other words, I know that there are battles. I know that there are fights. I know that there are going to be times when you want to give up. I know how hard it is to finish what you start. So anytime you're feeling that way, I want you to remember that it was God's grace that began the good work in you and it will be God's grace that empowers you to keep going. To the person in here who's ready to give up on it all, can I, I'm talking to you right now. Grace be with you. Tangible presence of the Holy Spirit, grace. Hey, you're okay. You're not too far gone for God to save. If you don't believe me, read the Bible. It's full of imperfect people. You're okay. God's got you. Grace be with you. That's how Paul ends 2 Timothy. So we get to the end. And, uh, I wanna say a few things. The first is, um, one of the reasons we took you through 2 Timothy is to show you that you really can do this. You really can read this book. You really can study this book. I know it's hard sometimes. I know there's some things you don't understand. I know there's some names in there you can't pronounce. I worked so hard yesterday to pronounce some of those names, still botched a whole bunch of them. Hey, but you can do it. And not only can you, you got to do it. If you wanna be a disciple of Jesus in 2023, you gotta be in this book every day. Imagine if I went to my doctor and was like, doc, I've, I gotta talk, I, I got some hunger issues going on. I'm hungry all the time. My doctor was like, well, tell me about your eating habits. And I said, Sunday morning, great meal. And he'll go, okay, then what? Oh, well then next Sunday sometimes. If I'm in town, I'll go back and have another meal. And maybe the Sunday after that, my doctor would be like, I'm so glad I went to medical school to tell you this, you're eating one meal a day, here's your prescription, eat every day. If you wanna be a Christian, follower of Jesus, can I just simply tell you, if you wanna finish the race that you started, you gotta get in the word every day. Slowly, quality over quantity, taking steps. I did this my freshman year of college. I started reading the Bible for myself and my life has never been the same. I would, Doug and I started reading the gospels together. And that year he left to, to Australia to go star in this hit show, Bondi Rescue. And we would just send Facebook messages back and forth to each other. So simple, like 
It looks like John the Baptist ate locusts and wild honey. That was a real message that we were sending back and forth to each other. That's where we were at. And yeah, we were getting into the word one, one day at a time. Ethan and I started reading the book of Acts that year. Started seeing, oh, it looks like God really is using a bunch of imperfect people to do some crazy things. And that's really good news for us because we're really imperfect. Sat down with my buddy Chris and we started reading through the book of Romans. We'd get to words like propitiation and be like, what does that mean? I have no idea, let's figure it out together. You really can do that and there's resources everywhere and we're here to answer all your questions along the way. So here's my challenge, find somebody and say, hey, for this summer, you and me, let's just go through the Gospel of John. Let's just learn about the life of Jesus. We'll take it slow, one day at a time. Let's do this together. Church, you really can study Scripture. And here's the only other thing I'll say is, the reason 2 Timothy is so beautiful is because 2 Timothy points us to Jesus. The reason the book of Genesis is so beautiful is because it points us to Jesus. The reason Revelation is so beautiful is because it points us to Jesus. The reason 1 Corinthians is so beautiful is because it points us to Jesus. The reason Leviticus is so beautiful is because my goodness does it point us to Jesus. In other words, it all points us to Jesus. And so if Paul was sitting in on this sermon, he would go, stop talking about me. You're not getting it. This was never about me. This has always been about Jesus. And so I thought the best way to end our series on 2 Timothy is to go back to the table, to take communion together and remember the sacrifice uh, of Jesus. And so if you don't have a communion cup, go ahead and throw your hand up in the air. We have a team of people who will get to you. Thank you, volunteers. Just keep your hand up, they'll, they'll get to you. On the last night, the night Jesus was betrayed, he brought his disciples together into an upper room knowing full well that his race was about to finish, but that theirs had just begun. And he goes, I wanna give you something tangible to remember when you wanna stop fighting your fight, uh, when you wanna lose the faith, when you don't feel like finishing the race. I wanna give you something to come back to over and over and over again. And so they sit down at the table and he takes bread, like we're about to do in just a second, and he breaks it. Uh, of course, thinking about how the next day his entire body was going to be broken for the good of all of us, allowing his body to be broken for the body. And as we take it in just uh, a second, I want you to think about that. Hey, there's a, a reason why you're on this earth. You have a fight to fight. What does it look like to allow yourself to, to be broken for the good of the body? So let's read together Matthew 26. When they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when they had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Let's take it together. After that, he grabbed a glass of wine. It says this in verse 27. He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is, here it is, here's our phrase, pour it out. Sound familiar? Yeah, when Paul's writing his letter at the end of his life, what does he say in verse six? I am already being poured out. What was Paul doing? Just following the example of his rabbi, following the example of his king, following the example of Jesus, who literally allowed his blood to be poured out for all of us on the cross. 
which is poured out for many. Why? For the forgiveness of sins. So let's take and drink in remembrance of Jesus. Would you guys stand to your feet? Church, if we learn anything from 2 Timothy, here it is. Life is short. <laughs> it just is. Hey, I don't wanna live my life so that my tomb will be in museums one day for people to walk by and look at while they have existential crises. I wanna live a life where I get to the end of it and know that I've lived full, but now I'm dying empty. That I've left it all on the field, that I'm allowing myself to be poured out for the good of the kingdom of heaven. And if that's you, I wanna pray a prayer of blessing over you as we go into worship. Father, we thank you for 2 Timothy. We thank you for Paul's example, who's really just an example of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for Jesus that, that on the night where he said, Lord, take this cup from me, I don't wanna do this. He doubled down and said, but not my will, but your will be done. Jesus, thank you for allowing your blood to be poured out so that we could go free. And so now I pray in the name of Jesus for anybody in this room, watching online or at God Behind Bars who hasn't finished something that they know they're being called to finish. God, would you empower them? God, would you give them courage? God, would you give them peace? Would you give them patience? Would you give them perseverance that we may be a drink offering poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, amen.